0: Okay, so when I was young, I used to live in Michigan. And living in Michigan with my father, we used to go camping a lot. And I can remember on several occasions where I would pitch the tent in the backyard, and I would take my little CD player out there, and I would listen to some music most of the time, and I was there most of the time by myself. And I would eventually get tired of listening to the music and I would turn on the radio. But it was late, late at night. So the rule number one of when you're camping in the backyard is you have to stay up as late as you can. That's the whole thing. You're there unsupervised. So here I am in my tent in the backyard of my house. And I turn the radio on and I start tuning eventually I stumble upon this AM radio station where the host is talking about aliens and UFOs Sasquatch and everything paranormal you can imagine and after a while I quit waiting until I was camping in the backyard to listen to this show I fell in love with it almost immediately I was just amazed that these people would come on the air, tell these stories, no matter how far-fetched they were. The show was called Coast to Coast, I'm sure some of you have heard of it before, but I listened to it for most of my life. I just loved the show. And about ten years ago, I started listening to the radio again, listening for new things. Stumbled upon a show called The Prairie Home Companion. And in this show, it was a host, and he would do live skits, and there was bands, and there was music, and, and jokes, and you know, it kept you occupied. But what was weird about it is that this show was three hours long, but I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And there was this scene where the host would tell this grand story of this imaginary town that he made up. Oh, what was it called? I think it was Lake Wobegon, and I loved it every single weekend. I was listening to it; absolutely loved this show. And before long, I was tuning into that radio station earlier than normal, and I found out that there were podcasts being aired in the radio. So I started listening to those podcasts. Then I went online and I got a list of all the shows that were being aired. On that radio station. It was NPR. I'm not ashamed to admit it. But. These podcasts. These shows. They would just tell stories. Amazing stories. From normal people. People you wouldn't imagine would have these amazing stories. There was. Snap Judgment. Love Snap Judgment. I've listened to it as long as I can remember. And. This American Life. I absolutely loved it. And then, of course, Snap judgment during the Halloween time of year, they would do scary stories. Quote-unquote, real scary stories. And I loved it. I was just pulled in by it. And I always told myself that one day I was going to do my own podcast, do my own show, where I invite people that I know to sit down with me and have a conversation. To tell me stories for them to tell me in their own words life changing events situations that no matter how old they get no matter what happens in their life they're always going to remember it they'll be 85 years old and they'll be sitting down telling their great grandkids listen here let me tell you the time this happened they'll never forget and those are the stories I'm looking for now don't get me wrong I've been through a lot myself and people are always asking me. They say, well, why don't you tell your story? I say, well, the point is, I don't want to tell my story. I'm here because I want to hear other people's stories. And I think the joy that I would get out of it would transpire to the audience. That I think you, as the listener, would absolutely love to hear some of these stories. We all know somebody. A grandfather, a crazy uncle, a neighbor in the hometown you grew up in. Some of them. That they would always tell these amazing stories, and you would be sitting there at their feet, just amazed. And that's what I'm aiming for. That's what I want this podcast to be. I want there to be engaging storytelling. I want people to sit and be enthralled by the conversations that are happening, that when you hear these shows, do you remember from when you were younger and you used to listen to that crazy uncle or that weird neighbor or whatever. You know, I've had... Sure, I had the crazy uncle. I had the weird neighbor. I could tell some stories, but... I want to hear your story. And I racked my brain for weeks. Before trying to come up with a name for this. And I had thought about, what was it, the, old, the way of Native American storytelling, where it wasn't written traditions, it was stories handed down from generation to generation. And the storytelling was part of their history, and that's how they did it. And I said, well, how can I channel that into a single word? And by pure happenstance, I ran across the word disseminate. It means to spread, you know, something, especially information, widely. There's so many different definitions of the word, and to be fair, throughout history, there've been a lot of circumstances where the word disseminate was used in a negative context. Where. It Bad information was disseminated into the public, feeding bad information, usually concerning wars or politics, but that's not what I'm getting at here. The definition of disseminate that I really came to like was disseminate means to spread information, knowledge, opinions widely, derives from the Latin word for seed, the idea with disseminate is that information travels like seeds sown by a farmer. And I just, I think that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm getting at here. I want to spread these seeds, these great stories out to everybody. I just want people to enjoy themselves. And let's be honest, if you guys are listening, you probably know me. You know where I'm from. You know that, you know where we live. Nothing comes from here. And I want to change that. I want there to be something that all of us can be proud of. Even if it's just a little podcast out of my little one bedroom apartment, that's fine. So, without further ado, I present to you the Disseminate Podcast. This story takes place in Fort Smith, Arkansas, in the winter of 1974, where our storyteller, Janice Duncan, is heading down a path. A path that will change her life forever. A path that will lead across two states. Please note listener discretion is advised. This story contains adult themes with sexual and drug references it may not be suitable for all ages. This is disseminate.
1: I worked as a car hop at a little uh, drive-in in in Fort Smith. And uh, I worked there a little over a year and this girl named Barbara came to uh, work there with me. And, uh, you know, I knew from the first time I met her, I knew she was a little bit out there, you know. But uh, the first time my mom met her, she's hated her. She's like, you ain't running around with her. You don't need to be running around with her. And, uh, but anyway, it was like we had a friendship, even though we were opposites, we just had a friendship of some kind. It was the day after uh, Christmas in 1974. And uh, me and Barbara were going to uh, go get our health cards before we went to work. And so uh, I was fixing to leave, and my mom had been on me all morning, and I would smarted off at her. And my sister, who I'd never, ever had a crossword with, she jumped up and said, You're not going to talk to her like that. And, of course, that just broke my heart, you know. And so it made it even more, I was tired of this life, you know. And So anyway, when I got to Barbara's house... Uh, I could tell she was mad about something. I said, what's going on? She said, oh, me and my mom's fighting. I said, and I told her my story. And she said, you know, my boyfriend's leaving tonight for Dallas. said, we need to just run away. We just need to go with him. And I was like, fine. But for some reason, we went ahead and walked over there and got her health cards, you know. Right. And we walked back, and uh, my boss at the time, we told him what we were going to do. We told him we were going to run away, and we asked him if he would go ahead and give us all our pay that day. Well, he did.
0: But he didn't say anything about
1: no. about you I running never, away? No, he never tried to talk us out of it, nothing. He just gave us our pay, and <laughs> my mom hated that man until the day she died. But For that reason? For that reason. Um, but anyway, we got our money, and um, we met her boyfriend. I can't even remember where it was that we met him at, but... Anyway, he took us back to his apartment, and he said, it was a garage apartment, and he said, uh, y'all stay here, and I'll go pick up my roommate. We'll be leaving, you know, probably about six or seven. Well, anyway, we were just sitting there looking out the window, and after a while of looking out the window, I saw my dad drive by. And he still didn't know that I was gone because they still thought I was working my shift. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, we decided we just go outside and go for a walk. And uh, when we tried to open the door, it wouldn't come open.
0: Barbara and Janice found a window and looked around outside to the front door and found that they had been padlocked in by Barbara's boyfriend. And before long, panic began to set in.
1: We climbed out a window and got out, you know, and we didn't have anything. We didn't have a change of clothes. All we had was clothes on our back. We was crazy kids, but anyway, so we went next door and uh, we called a cab to take us down to the bus station because we were d- still determined we was going to Dallas. So we gone down to the bus station. We buy our one-way ticket to Dallas and. We don't want to stay there because we're afraid that'd be the first place they'd look for us at. So anyway, we called some friends and we just go driving around. Really didn't do anything. Um, so then we, uh, about 12:15, they took us back to the bus stop. And we got on and uh, I remember the feeling I felt when I pulled away that day. It was almost like my heart broke. I mean, maybe it was fear. I was 14, you know, but maybe it was fear. I don't know, but it was just, I was really sad. But no turning back, you know, you never want to be the one that quits. So about halfway there, we stopped at this truck stop, I mean bus stop, and we got out and went inside. And of course, I don't even know why, but we had our diaries with us. Maybe we carried them in our purse, I don't know. But anyway, she said, Let's just throw them away because we're going to start a new life. And you know, so you just throw them away. You know, wish now a 100 times I'd never did a lot of memories in that thing. Right. But anyway, so we got back on the bus and our first night, you know, just sleeping on a bus, you know. And uh, I remember we uh, pulled into Dallas about mid morning, I guess. And Lord, that was the most amazing thing I think me or her ever, ever wanted seen. You know, it was a big city. Right. So anyway we we walk around and we go to this restaurant and uh, we're gonna go in there and get something to eat and she gets to talking to the waiter and uh we're long he comes over and he he brings her a drink now she's fifteen and I'm not I don't drink I never have been a drinker but anyway uh, I knew before we left that she had a problem I mean we'd run around enough I knew you know. So she went ahead and had a drink or two, and I was like, We better get out of here. We can still walk out of here, you know. So we walk out, and um, we're just walking up and down the big street, looking at all the buildings. And we stop, and we're just standing there, and this man comes up. And uh, he said, "Um, How much? I looked at her, she looked at me, and I was like, For what? And he said, for everything. And I still... I'm a 14-year-old girl from Arkansas. You know, I look at her again, and he said, you're standing on a corner in front of a motel. You know, and then we knew what he thought we were, and that scared us to death, so we just take off running. Probably scared him, too, <laughs> you know. But anyway, we uh, we met these two guys that were... They were... It was their last night. They were going over into the Army, and um so anyway we was talking to them, you know, just and they told us they said, We're leaving out and said we've still got another night in the motel, so if y'all want these keys, y'all can have that motel for the night some place to stay. <clears throat> and so of course we did. We took them, and um but the next day we knew we had to go somewhere. Couldn't stay in a motel that we couldn't pay for, you know. And so we were walking down the street and um Just kept walking and of course we were hitchhiking. You know, that's what you did back then. And uh, so anyway, this car had two guys in the front and two in the back. Just so happened that the guy in the back just scooted over and we got in the back seat. And uh, they started going and they started talking about uh, what they were gonna do to us. And it wasn't anything that 13 and 14-year-old wanted to do. And, and then, of course, they said that. And then when we're through, we're going to kill you. I, mean, I get scared of saying that right now. And uh, the car slowed down. It didn't stop, me, it slowed down. And Barbara looked at me and looked at the door. And I kind of, like, I knew what she was going to do. So we jumped out of the car. Thank good I don't even know how we did it, but we got out of the car and the car right behind him stopped was another guy and he said are y'all all right and uh we told him you know what happened he said you know get in the car this ain't no place for young girls to be out you know so anyway you know they were real good guys we stayed there a couple nights with them they would take us out and show us the town at night and stuff they were really good to us fed us and everything and the reason we stayed a couple of days, because that's all they talked about, was you've got to go home. you got to go home. And, of course, you know, he was making me miss my mama then, saying that. And so, uh, we went ahead, and, uh, that morning they got paid and everything, so they were, they bought our bus tickets, and they were going to send us back. So we bought us two runway tickets to Fort Smith. And, um, uh, We were kind of thinking we was going to go home, but then, you know, we didn't have any money. And of course, we were getting hungry, and uh, there was a guy in the aisle across from us, and he asked us, uh, said, y'all girls got some matches? And of course we did, because we both smoked, you know, back then. So anyway, um, I handed him the book of matches, and he handed it back to me, and inside it was a $5 bill, you know and uh, never knew his name. He never said anything else to us. It was just his way of making sure we had something to eat because maybe we were even talking about how hungry he was. I don't know, but um, so at the next stop, we get off and that next stop is Muskogee. And we decide that um, we ain't going back. We can make it back in that crazy state again, you know. We can make it here, you know, we'll get jobs and this and that, so... Of course, I'm just a follower, I guess, and I was like, okay. So we start walking down the street, leave the bus station and everything, and, uh... Of course, hitchhiking again, you know. And these guys pick us up, and, uh... They were talking, and, uh... So we went back to their place, and it was, uh... It was New Year's Eve, then, yeah. And... Uh, So, of course, they started having a party, and I happened to meet the people at the other end of the hall and come to find out they knew one of my sisters. So it was like a, you know. So when the party started getting pretty wild up there at that apartment, I went down there to stay with them, you know, and talk to them. So I ended up staying the night down there because I didn't want to go back up there. But when uh, next morning when I woke up, I went up there and Told Barbara, I said, we've got to do something. We got to get out of here. We don't need to be in this. And about that time, um, knock on the door. And so the guys go to answer it. And um, when they do, uh, it's cops. They've been turned in for the party the night before. And so, anyway, it's New Year's Day. And uh, I'd always been brought up. You don't never lie to a police officer. You always got to tell the truth. So uh, he looked at me and Barbara, and he said, "How old are you girls? And I spoke first, and I said, uh, "I'm 14." And uh, those guys' faces just went wide. <laughs> you know, because they thought we were older, I guess. But and anyway, Barbara didn't lie either. She said she was 15. So of course. They take us down, put us in the police car, and they take us uh, to the police station. And all they ever asked us was our name. You know, didn't ask our parents' name, nothing, you know. Just ask our names. And uh, so we get there, and I mean, talk about an out and experience for me. Well, we got there, and uh, the first thing they did was strip searches. I mean, that I was, like, scared to death. But anyway, you have to do it, you know. And I guess because of the it being a holiday, they said there wasn't any room in Juvia Hall, so we were going to have to stay in a jail cell. So they took us upstairs, and uh, after the strip search anyway, they took us upstairs to the jail cell, and I'll never forget when that door went clink. You know, people talk about that. That's true. And even though I knew, you know, we probably hadn't broke the law, I was wondering, like, How are my parents going to find me? You know, I'm in jail, and I ain't even had a phone call, nothing, you know. So anyway, we're we're there all New Year's Day, and when they bring us um, our dinner, well, we decided that, because we're just little kids anyway, but we decided we were going to keep our forks. And back then, you had real forks, not plastic ones. And not to hurt nobody or do anything like that, we were going to use them and I don't even know why, but to grip the seams out of our pants so that, you know, they would just like flop in the wind. I don't know, but we did it until they were like hot pants, you know, still long legs, but the, the it went up like hot pants. And uh, when I left uh, for Christmas that year, I'd got a shawl, they were real, you no, know, a cape. They were real popular back then. And uh, so that was all I had was my clothes and that cape. And so anyway, the next morning, kind of early, um, they come and they get Barbara. And they say, your parents are here to get you. Well, man, I just started bawling. I'm going to be alone in a jail cell. And probably my parents don't want to come get me. They're like, stay there, you know. Uh, but anyway, it was about an hour or two later. And my mom and dad did come to get me. And um, so when... Uh, they brought me downstairs i was i was smoking a cigarette and i had turned back into that 14 year old brat not that kid that needed her mama 2 hours ago i was the brat again and i come downstairs smoking that cigarette and i remember my dad looked at me and he said uh when did you start smoking i said long time ago did you not notice i went to the bathroom a lot and uh, just a smart-illic kid. And so then he looked, you know, they looked at me, and of course I probably looked aside, you know, with my pants <coughs> the way we had done them. You know, hers was the same way, but anyway. So uh, my dad came over, and uh, still hurts me today to think about it, but he came over, and he took his coat off, and he put it over my shoulders, and I just knocked it off, just that brat again but you know they the ride home was kind of uh, quiet they never asked me I don't think to this well my mom's gone my mom and dad are but they never knew I went all the way to Dallas they thought Muskogee was as far as I'd ever got I never told them they didn't you know but while I was gone my mom told me when I got back Of course they went to church all the time they brought us up in church and my mom she said when you were gone We went to a uh, prayer meeting, and this woman told me that in three days I was going to hear from you. And she said, just so you know, this is the third day. So, you know, it was, it's a very sad thing. I wish if I could, there's a couple things in my life I'd change if I could, and that would be one of them. You know, but... We do the things we do, and then we we feel bad for them forever. But, you know, I know as a mother, I never want my kids to ever feel bad about any argument or anything we ever had. Because the last thing I ever want to do is hurt.
0: Janice and Barbara never saw each other again after that. Up until this day, Janice still wonders what happened to Barbara. If her life had been changed as much as hers had by the experiences they shared that day. Today, Janice lives in Fort Smith. And all of her kids and grandkids know this story intimately. She uses it as a cautionary tale. And I think we all can relate that as teenagers we do do some very dumb things. And with that, I wanted to say thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 1 of Disseminate. Expect many more episodes like this, some similar yet some different, in the near future. So if you like what you hear... Make sure you follow the page on Facebook, subscribe on whatever streaming service you use. I know for sure that we're on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and um, Apple Podcasts. I'm fairly certain that we'll be on just about every streaming platform that you would use. So, if you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, follow, and Let's see if we can make one of these small-town podcasts blow up. I would love to continue telling these stories of these amazing people and their amazing experiences. And that's why I need you, the fan base, the listeners, that if you've got a story, don't be afraid to come forward and tell it. If you think, even if you can reach one person, I think that would be enough, wouldn't it? So, if you've got a story that you want to tell, feel free to email me at dissiminatepodcast at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-S-E-M-I-N-A-T podcast at gmail.com. Or you can feel free to contact me through the Facebook page at Podcast. And I hope that all of you really enjoy what I'm doing here. I'm going to continue doing it until I simply cannot any longer. And like I said, the only way this show is going to go anywhere is if we get support from people following and subscribing. And maybe a few donations later down the road. But before I go, I do have one more snip of audio. It was recorded toward the end of the conversation with Janice and I, and I just thought it was too good to let it go. And I couldn't think of a way to slip it into the storyline, so I'm going to close this episode out and let you hear this final snip of audio before I go. And I hope you all enjoyed, and I'll see you next time.
1: little things happen like even though we might have gotten really hungry somehow along that way we always got something to eat you know you know people would be nice or something maybe they just maybe we looked at them and they thought they some starving kids you know but but I never want to do it again I'd take it back if I could even though it, you know I learned some things from that don't trust everybody but um nothing I ever would want to live again unless I could take it back.
0: So it's definitely something you're always going to remember, though.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm never going to, My kids are never going to forget it. My grandkids ain't never going to forget it. You know, because they've all heard the stories, too. You know, that's what you do. You sit around and you tell stories and you make memories so that when you're gone, there's plenty to live on until you, you know, see me again. Well,
0: that's a big reason I do... I want to do this podcast, right. so because if your family members are benefiting from your story, then what? Just think of how many other people can benefit from the story this way.
1: Yeah, I don't know how it can help somebody. Maybe if certain people share things, it right away. Please don't do it. It's, <laughs> it's not a good thing to do.